0: Church, we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? I mean, we have an incredible God who loves us endlessly, and despite our failings, He keeps coming back to us. He pursues us, and because of that, we live a life of gratefulness, indeed letting our light shine wherever we are, because that's who we're called to be, to let Jesus Christ shine out of us. And while we do that all year long, we're moving into this season of gratefulness and giving. And so we have that much more opportunity to look like Jesus all around us, especially after a very difficult year that we've had. So as we think about that and just all that we have... Uh, time to be grateful for. I want to say thank you for joining us today, whether you're here in this room or joining us online. I know that God is doing incredible things in your life, that the Holy Spirit is moving inside of you and causing you to do some incredible things to lift up His name for glory, for honor, for respect, for all the things that we're called to do to shine into this dark world, to let Jesus be known. Thank you for being here today and joining us online as well. This morning we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 23, and I encourage you to grab your Bible and turn with me there. We'll be there in just a few moments. Our text will be on the screen as well. Whether you're here or joining us at home, we want to be in the Word of God because not only His Holy Spirit, but the Word of God changes us as well. As we finish up this series calling us to live intentionally for the cause of Christ. How do we live on purpose for God? What are the things that we need to do in our life as we're blessed and empowered by the Holy Spirit? We're called to also meet what He's doing in our life and for us to do some things as well. And as we dig into the story of Josiah, we're reminded of how he lived intentionally for God in the moment where he found himself in his culture, and we can learn some things from his life. So as you turn there and find that text, I want to remind you of something that's going to start next week, December 6th. We'll start having two services, one at 9 o'clock and one at 10.30. And I want to remind you, too, that 10.30 service is going to be our live stream It'll also be the service where we'll offer kids' classes uh, in our kids' wing area. And let me give you a food, a little nugget for thought, if you will, just to think about. If you don't have kids, I want to encourage you to come to the 9 o'clock service because it frees up space for families to come to our second service so their kids can go to our class time together. And so uh, think about that as uh, you invite people either to the physical location here at Crosspoint or joining us online at, uh, on our website. It'd be a great opportunity to reach out to those folks who are looking for a little hope. We're doing that for a couple of reasons, two services to kind of spread us out more, and it kind of makes a little more safe distancing uh, option, if you will. But we also realize that during the holiday season, there are a lot of families, a lot of people who are looking for that hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so they're looking for churches to get plugged into, and while you don't have to be here at the physical plant, you can certainly uh, be a part of our online experience, and it's a great opportunity for us to share this wonderful family that God's doing great things uh, among uh, with those that are looking for that hope in Christ Jesus. Well, as we think about purposeful life and intentionality, how do we live that out uh, among uh, ourselves and our families, our our work group and our neighborhoods? How do we live that kind of life? Because the truth is, we've investigated the idea that we and I, we make some some decisions to do some things that we don't always follow through with. We hear what we want to do, but we don't always do what we say we're going to do. That came to fruition for McDonald's in 1991. I don't know if you remember this moment in time, but they got a little pushback, McDonald's did, about the type of food that they were serving on the menu. There wasn't really a healthy option. The public kind of had this survey moment where they said, we want a healthier option on the menu. And so McDonald's went to work, and they came up with this healthy cheeseburger, if there could be such a thing. I don't know. I'm I'm looking for that still. But uh, they, they decided, they came up with this thing called the McLean. Anybody remember the McLean? Nobody. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I thought would happen. Uh, The McLean was 91% fat-free. They used a seaweed component to kind of compile the ingredients in the burger itself. And while the public said, we want a healthier option, they just kept buying the Big Mac instead. And so the McLean actually became the McFlop and McDonald's moved on. We don't always do the things that we say we want. We, we end up sometimes in that gap situation, and last week we kind of unpacked this, I, this idea about the intention-action gap, and so many times you and I live in that gap. We intend to do something, but we end up doing something totally different And so we have this gap in our life that doesn't really match up with what we say we want to do and what we end up doing. So maybe in your life, you made a decision to save for retirement. You wanted to put some money into that savings account, but the dishwasher broke down, the car broke down, kids needed braces. They eventually went to college that you had to pay for. And so the list goes on about things that you had to pay for and didn't put money into that savings account. You didn't do what you intended to do early on. We lived in the gap. Or maybe in your relationships, you wanted some deep abiding friendships, but you weren't willing to put the time needed into those relationships to have that, those memories and the deep abiding moments with other people in your life. And so those deep abiding friendships just never came to fruition. Maybe in your spiritual walk, you wanted to be a more mature Christian, living Christ out in your life every single day, but you knew that was going to take you being in the Word of God, you having a consistent prayer life, maybe being a part of a small group, being involved in ministry in some way or fashion. But along the way, the soccer games came up, you brought work home, you had different things going on in your life, and those things just never happened. And so your deep, spiritual, mature faith hasn't come to fruition either. And so we take a look at this life of King Josiah and discover how he lived life for God. What are the things that happened in his life to make him incredibly purposeful and intentional to live life for God? And in our life, we look at his to discover how we're called to live that way too. Now, Josiah lived about 604 BC before Christ, and so he lived in a different culture than we did. We do, but we can learn from his life experience. What are the things that he did in his own life to put him on that path? Because you, if you read the story in Second Kings, beginning uh, 21, chapter 21, it says that Josiah, as he focused on God, never looked to the left or the right. He simply was focused on who God wanted him to be in his life. And at the very end of his life, in chapter 23, it said that there had never been a king like Josiah in Judah before him or after him. He was a man after God's own heart. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of legacy that I would like to leave for my kids and my family, wouldn't you? I want to be a person who is known for staying focused on Jesus Christ, fully living for Him, leaning into the life that only Jesus can really give me in the moment. We want to be transformed into that kind of person And then last week, as we read through chapter 22, the things that Josiah was implementing and how he was discovering the Word of God, and it was read over him, and it was a transformative moment for him to recognize he wasn't living how God was calling him to live. And so he lived a repentant life. He had a responsive heart in the process. He humbled himself and outwardly showed that he was a different person than he was before. And so we learned that that is part of the process of how he moved more toward looking like God had called him to live. And it seems at times that you and I have really good intention, but then when we don't get to fulfilling that good intention, we we kind of pretend like it's okay, even though we really haven't done anything or accomplished anything. And it's interesting how in our own life we kind of forgive our own selves, but I look at at other people and I I kind of point fingers and kind of place judgment calls on those folks. And in psychology, that's called the fundamental attribution error. And here's how it works. I hold you accountable, but I let myself off the hook. So in your own life, you may have... um, circumstances you may have family matters, you may have health issues, you may have work issues, different things going on that, that are getting in the way of you accomplishing who you want to be in Christ. But I don't, I don't, I don't go for that. I, I don't say that that's okay. I hold you accountable to become the person you say you want to be. But in my life, I may have those same exact issues going on, but I let myself off the hook. That's the fundamental attribution error. So living like Josiah, what we come to understand, though, along the way, is that Josiah just took responsibility. And if we're going to be like Josiah, then you and I have to stop blaming other people. We have to stop blaming life circumstances. We just have to stop blaming other things and take the responsibility for where we are at in life. Just own it. Just raise your hand and you say, yep, that was me. I made a mistake. Let's move forward. I've got two younger brothers, and there were many times when I cornered them and held them down and made them confess that. And you've probably done that in your sibling rivalry as well. But taking responsibility, just owning it, is a very freeing experience. Stop trying to hide it and lie about it. But just say like Josiah, you know what? I have been wrong, and I want to be more on the side of God. And if you're like me, you don't like to hurt too often either. And so when you find out that you've done some wrong, you don't want to stay there. You just kind of want to move forward in your story. And so many times that has been the case for me. Instead of first repenting and realizing where I'm at and taking that ownership, don't allow myself to be broken first for moving on to become the person God's really called me to be. And so last week, we left off in chapter 22 of uh, 2 Kings, where we discovered Josiah has been praying for real change, not only in himself, but in the nation that he rules as well. He's praying for God's Spirit to envelop them and change the people who they are. And our story today picks up in chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. And the king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant of the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commandments, laws, and decrees with all of his heart and soul. In this way, he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll, and all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Josiah is outwardly recognizing They have been wrong as a people, and they want to move to being right in the eyes of God. And so he gets up in front of his people, and he reads the book of the law to all that are gathered there. And it makes a difference in Josiah's life and in the people's life. And in our life, too, we have to understand the power of God's Word and read it for ourselves. Church, do you believe there is power in God's Word? It has the ability to change who we are, to transform us into the people God's called us to be. Now, you expect me to say that because I'm the preacher. Get your Bible out, read your Bible, be in your Bible every single day. But have you tried it? You and I, we crack open God's Word every Sunday morning. We dig into the depths of the knowledge that He gives to us through His Word. But do you do it the other six days of the week? Is it that important to you? Is it the fuel that kind of moves you through your day? You see, we find that Josiah had profound respect for the Word of God, for what God had said. And they discovered that book of the law in the temple and they read it. And Josiah, after hearing the Word of the God, he doesn't say, well, that was really written a long time ago. It's a little outdated for what we're doing here in our very modern age in 604 B.C. It's a little irrelevant for for what's going on around us. He doesn't say, well, you know, our culture has changed since really this was written. No, he looks at culture through God's Word. And he asks where there is alignment and misalignment. He wants God's Word to form how they live every single day. Now, I've read ahead of the story a little bit. Uh, Josiah eventually dies, and uh, his son Jehoiakim takes the throne. But they have different positions on where the Word of God stands in their life. Once the Word of God is read, it says that Josiah followed God with all of his heart and soul, but his son did not. God had no place in the life of Jehoiakim. And if you read in Jeremiah chapter 36, we won't go there this morning, but during Jehoiakim's reign, when the Word of the Lord is read, something different happens. Do you remember what happened when Josiah heard the Word read over him? He tore his clothes and he wept. An immediate transformation began in Josiah's life. Not so with his son. Jehoakim stops the word of the Lord being read to him because it's an indictment on his own life. He actually takes the word of the Lord. The text says he cuts it into pieces and he throws it into the fire. He has no place for God and God's word in his own life. How many readers do we have in here? Raise your hand if you enjoy reading. Uh, it could be the Bible, could be any book, anything at all. Yeah, I, I'm a, an avid reader as well. And I, of course, read a lot of different books, a lot of different blogs, different things like that, but also the Word of God. And it becomes familiar to me at times. And there are moments when I can kind of glaze over a story that I feel like I've read several times and I don't really stop and sink into the story and let it just kind of wash over me anew every single time. If I'm not careful, it's easy to get distracted. In church, there's so much vying for our attention in our life. So much can distract us from being a part of what God has to say to us every single day of our life. We're called to be in His Word and let it just wash over us and make us new. Yep, all the different things, the shiny things of life kind of pull us away at times from that very idea. Some of you might remember a few weeks ago we had staff on stage on a Sunday night and we were talking about uh, the documentary The Social Dilemma. How many of you have seen The Social Dilemma? Raise your hand if you've seen that. Some of us in here. If you haven't seen it, it's a Netflix documentary. I'd encourage you to look at it. It's a a great unpacking of what our cell phones and the social apps that are on our phones are doing to us and how they're kind of controlling us. And it's, it's a little bit shocking. And if you haven't looked at that, I would encourage you to do that. But we must become disciplined like Josiah to really elevate the Word of God and His plan for you in your life, where there's no distraction, moving away, getting sidetracked from what God's called us to do in our own life. If we're going to be like Josiah, it's going to require some change on your part and mine. It's going to require us to do some different things in our life and be a little more disciplined, knowing that the Word of God can actually change us But the other thing that we see that happens in Josiah's life is Josiah goes public with his conviction and his commitment to who God is in his life. And if you've been living in that gap, if you said, yeah, I want to be this person but end up doing something totally different, we live in that gap, and sometimes that gap is called the fence. You've heard that phrase before, I'm on the fence on this particular matter, whatever that might be. Church, let me tell you something, Satan owns the fence and it's time for you and I to choose God in our life. Now, Josiah is a king, and he's standing in front of a nation telling them, this is what we're going to do, and the nation answers back, we're in agreement, we're with you, we're going to follow you. Now, to my knowledge, no one in here is a king. Now, I have seen a little ad where you can Own a little piece of land in Scotland and become a lord yourself. That's kind of interesting. Maybe you want to check into that this holiday season. I don't know. But most of us are not monarchy, so we don't control people and tell them what they are or are not going to do. So maybe in your own life, your particular place where you might have a voice, where you can voice your conviction and your commitment, is in the workplace. Now, I'm not advocating that you go out and buy a megaphone and begin preaching on your break. You could do that if you wanted to, but that's not what what I want you to know is in your workplace... You can become the light that God wants you to be. The way you treat people, the kind of language you use, the kind of ethics that you bring to the business table, the kind of person that you are in the workplace can let people know the kind of person that you're convicted and committed to be in Christ Jesus. Maybe it's in your friend group. Maybe, maybe your friend group you just really haven't held each other accountable. And maybe it's a moment in time for you to say, hey, as a group of guys, as a group of women, let's begin serving other people like Jesus served. Let's find ways where we can be a part of the community that we're involved in, but yet shine like Jesus. We want to serve. There's a group of older retired guys that uh, they call themselves the chairman right here at Cross Point and we've missed you dearly uh, this year. Uh, They are here in this room setting up every Sunday morning, getting it ready for uh, our Sunday time together. They've been absent this year, of course, because of COVID. But they are a group of guys, a friend group, that have made a decision to shine like Jesus Christ. Not only do they serve, but they set money aside to help people in need. And they get together and they talk about who might be in need over cake and pie and coffee or whatever that might be. And they help a lot of people along the way. But that's an example of what I'm talking about. A group of your friends making a difference for the cause of Christ. Maybe it's in your family. And maybe you haven't been the parent or the spouse that God's really called you to be. And it's your moment to say, no, this is who we're going to be as as a people in this house, as a family. We're going to shine like Jesus. We're going to look like Him. We're going to find ways to serve, be involved in ministry. We're going to pray together. We're going to read God's Word together. We're going to move forward looking like Jesus all along the way. There's a lot of great ministry to be involved in here at Point, Maybe the congregation, if you're watching online, where, where you attend. There's a lot of great ways to serve other people. One of those ministries is called Celebrate Recovery. They meet every Tuesday night on the other side of this wall in the youth room. They're not meeting right now because of COVID restrictions, but they're a group of people who've made a decision. They have been somewhere and they're confessional about that, but they want to be somewhere different. And they're asking around the room, Are you, can you walk with me in that? Will you hold me accountable to that desire? I don't want to be in the gap anymore. I don't want to be that person. I want to be somebody new. That's a group of people who are convicted and committed to the cause of Christ and they want to be different. Baptism is one of those moments, a public confession where you can show everybody how convicted and committed you are to Christ by saying, He is my Lord and Savior. I want to put Him on in baptism. I want to gather people around to witness that event as I stand in those baptismal waters, as I'm buried with Christ, as I'm raised a brand new creation filled with the Holy Spirit and inviting you as you witness on my journey with me, hold me accountable to what I've said I want to be. It's a very public way to do that. Now when you read Josiah's story, what we see over and over, the bulk of what he is dealing with is idolatry, and literal idolatry. Stone, wood, altars, incense, priests dedicated to other gods other than Yahweh, and his job, he wants to get rid of the idolatry. Now, it doesn't really describe the culture that we currently live in, and as you read through God's Word, we realize that idolatry is a really big thing to God. God wants to be your God and the only God in your life. He wants to be the only God on the throne of your heart. Take a look what Josiah does in his story, beginning in verse 4. It says, Then the king instructed Hilkiah the high priest and the priest of the second rank and the temple gatekeepers to remove from the Lord's temple all the articles that were used to worship Baal, Asherah, and all the powers of the heavens. The king had these things burned outside Jerusalem on the terraces of the Kidron Valley, and he carried the ashes away to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priest who had been appointed by the previous kings of Judah. For they had offered sacrifices at the pagan shrines throughout Judah and even in the vicinity of Jerusalem. They had also offered sacrifices to Baal and to the sun, the moon, the constellations, and to all the powers of the heavens. The king removed the Asherah pole from the Lord's temple and took it outside Jerusalem to the Kidron Valley, where he burned it. Then he ground the ashes of the pole to dust and threw the dust over the graves of the people. He also tore down the living quarters of the male and female shrine prostitutes who were inside the temple of the Lord. This is a guy who is absolutely on fire for God and eliminating anything that stood in the way of his people and worship to the one true God. He burns everything that has to do with other gods, and he sprinkles the ashes into the cemetery. I would say, though, too, in our own life, this is probably the primary issue for each and every one of us, and it's really this idol worship is what keeps us in the gap. It's what keeps us on the fence. It's what holds us back from fully worshiping our incredible God. And church, what we, what we do if we look around us, we'll see that God has a tremendous amount of competition in the life in which we live. There are people and things vying for our attention all the time. Oz Guinness in his book Fool's Talk says, idolatry is the most discussed problem in the Bible and one of the most powerful spiritual and intellectual concepts in the believer's arsenal. Yet for Christians today, it is one of the least meaningful notions. And it means that you and I have to deal with the distractions that keep us from embracing Jesus Christ, that you and I have to be purposeful and intentional about the life that we're called to live in God because there are lots of things trying to pull our attention away from the one living God. And church, we want to serve that risen Savior, do we not? We want to make Him Lord of our life sitting on the throne of our heart. We want to make Him number one in our life. So if you're like me, you want to remove everything that's a distraction from me getting to Jesus. We want Him to rule our life. And sometimes those distractions can be quite innocent. I remember when we were working at the Stillwater Church and we were talking to a church in the Kansas City area about coming and doing youth ministry at the congregation there. Our boys were going into junior high and Robin and I were literally back and forth. Do we go? Do we not go? We felt called there, but we were worried about our boys, scared about our boys, what they might get into, what the big city life was going to be like for them versus the, the small town that we lived in. And so I began asking some of my mentors and people that were in my life, and eventually I got around to asking one of my uh, well-known professors at ACU. I said, "Charles, what do you think about this situation?" And his first words were, "Tim, based upon what you've told me, stop hiding behind your boys." I said, "Say what?" <laughs> he said, "That's exactly. God's calling you into ministry, yet you are using your boys to deflect." Go serve where he's called you. Robert and I talked about that. We were convicted, and so eventually we went to Kansas City. But there are innocent things in our lives that can prohibit us from doing what God's called us to do. I like comfort. Raise your hand if you like to be comfortable here in Texas, yeah, A.C. during the summertime, all those good things. Sure, I like to be comfortable, and so sometimes I don't get off the couch because I'd prefer to be comfortable rather than doing what God has called me to do. If I ask you about your prayer life this past week, if I ask how dedicated you were to that prayer life, what would your answer be? You had good intentions, but other things got in the way. Things like your social media, Netflix, your social groups that you kind of hang out and run around with. I mentioned our phones and the social dilemma comment just a few moments ago. Do you know that the average person looks at their phone 50 times a day? The average person Forty percent of us feel lost if we don't have our phone for an hour. So if we're away from our phone for an hour, we feel a little lost. We need to get back connected. Thirty percent of us in married life, if we both have cell phones, that the phone gets in the way of intimacy. I mean, it is crazy how we are so distracted in the life in which we live. We have the desire to connect our life with God's. But there are idols in our own life that we need to remove and get rid of in order to embrace how God's called us to live. You know, the opposite of intentional is accidental. And I don't know about you, but I've said it many times, oh, it was just an accident when something happens in my life. It was just an accident. And we say that because we don't want to experience the pain that comes along with owning something that we have done. And so as we finish out and close out this series about intentional living and living on purpose for God, I want to encourage you. You have an incredible God that wants to do some powerful things in your life. You have an incredible Savior, a risen Savior, who's conquered death and he can conquer anything that's being thrown at you right now. He walks with you in your own story. He knows you by name. Church, we have an intentional Savior, and He wants you to be intentional for Him as well. So in this holiday season that is approaching, may you be empowered by the Holy Spirit to intentionally and purposefully live for Jesus Christ wherever you find yourself. May you embrace His Spirit in your life as you interact with others along the way and encourage them on their journey as well may you let the Word of God from this point moving forward transform you into the person you've been created to be. As we sing this next song, as always, our shepherds are ready to pray with you and over you for whatever is going on in your own life. We'll have some of our shepherds in our youth room just through this door over here, some of our shepherds in our conference room just through this door over here. And of course, it is never, ever ever too late to be baptized into Christ. That can happen for you right now today. The water is ready and I know the Spirit is ready and moving in you for Jesus to embrace you as to be part of our family. So collectively, church, let's stand together and praise His holy name with this next song.